But I want to talk to you for just a couple of minutes about Journey's finances, how your faithful generosity impacts ministry around here. Uh, Journey runs on a September 1 fiscal year, which means that we, uh, our church council, approved a new budget back in August. Uh, for the 2013 fiscal year, we approved a budget of $1.976 million, just a little bit shy of $2 million. That means that to meet that budget in order for ministries that impact our community and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ to be fully funded, we need about $38,000 or so a week. Uh, and if you're interested in seeing how that money's allocated across ministries, there's a budget breakout sheet out in the lobby at the Info Center. I invite you, please grab one of those when we're done in here. Really, really good stuff for all of us to know as a church family. About 38000 a week or so we need to be on target. Right now, we're 11 weeks into this new budget year, and today we're averaging about $31,000 a week. We're shallowing about $7,000 a week right now. Uh, the interesting thing about that is that attendance is up about 10% or so, so there's a couple hundred more people around here, even in the midst of this budget shallowing. Uh, you should know that we're managing expenses to meet that less than anticipated income, just like we all do that at home sometimes. We're doing the very same thing around the life of our church. And we'd love to be able to fully fund all of the outreach and all of the discipleship and all of the community service and growth that our staff and ministry leaders sense that God's asked them to accomplish this year. We have a fantastic staff, fantastic ministry leaders, and they budget with vision in mind. They budget with people's eternities in heart and mind. That means they wanna partner and line up with God to make Jesus as available as possible to as many people as possible through everything they do, which is why I'm talking to you right now. This is information on one hand about what our budget is, where we are year to date, and on the other hand, it's a challenge for every single one of us, me included, to consider our role in raising the water level of generosity and giving to God's eternal work through journey. Now, people sometimes get funny when we talk about money around the life of the church, right? But could we just make a deal that we're not gonna do that? We're not gonna get funny when we talk about money. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't get funny when he talked about money. He talked an awful lot about the money deal. He talked an awful lot about generosity. He talked an awful lot about what our generosity says is going on in our hearts. And so please know, I'm not telling you any of this with any sense of like beating the tithing stick over your head. Oh, you'd better give more. It's really an information thing. I'm informing you where we are, what's happening, and then making an invitation related to that to consider your role in helping to fund God's work through Journey. My wife, Dana, and I, we're always having these sorts of conversations. We're talking about this stuff all the time. How can we be more generous? That's how you end up with 12 kids. How can we be more generous? And they're great conversations and great, even better applications because they set us into the place that God wants us to be. I'm just inviting you to do the very same thing our family is doing. So that's where we're at. And even though we're running behind our targeted budget, we're still called as a church community and individually to be generous, right? Uncommon generosity is one of our values as a church. And I know all of you are keenly aware about the devastation, keenly aware of the devastation that happened uh, over in the Philippines, uh, that storm that just racked the Philippines, right? You've seen the pictures and the tragedy and the loss of life, and it just tears your guts out, doesn't it? And so some people around here have been asking, what's Journey going to do to help over there? And so here's where this uncommon generosity thing meets the road. We're going to flesh this out as a church. We're going to take a tithe, 10% of this weekend's offerings, and we're going to send it to the Philippines, to one of the fantastic organizations that's on the ground there right now that today is working to mobilize support and care and food and water for people who have had their lives utterly upended by this storm. So 10% of everything we all give this weekend is going to go right to relief efforts in the Philippines, and we think that's right. We think that's uncommon generosity expressed really, really tangibly because, yeah, we're running behind our targeted budget, sure. But at the same time, Jesus is really, really clear when he says, look, to whom much is given, a whole, whole bunch is required. And you just look around and you see that we've been given so incredibly much which means that we have significant responsibility, don't we? And we take that responsibility very, very seriously. So in just a moment, the ushers are gonna come by. 
They're going to have some buckets, and they're going to pass them up and down those rows. And if you're on the end of a row, just hang on to it, and Usher will be by in just a second to collect that from you. And if you're ready, you can give back to God out of everything he's given to you right into those buckets. Or if you're not ready right now, there's silos in the back of this room and out in the lobby, or you can give absolutely anytime at journeyweb.net slash give. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads and let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the overwhelming blessing, the overwhelming blessings that you pour out on us, every single one of us. And we're just grateful recipients of everything that you pour and pour and pour and pour, especially salvation, especially salvation. What an incredible gift. And God, we think of folks in the Philippines today, and we all have questions, why in the world? As if life wasn't hard enough for countless millions of people in the Philippines already, and then this just seems like it piles on, God, and in the midst of our questions, we trust you. We trust you. And we wanna be your hands and feet real tangibly over there. And so receive all these gifts, these tithes, offerings, and God, would you use them to make a gospel impact here in the Gallatin Valley, to the four corners of the planet, to being your hands and feet, relieving suffering, providing food and water and shelter for those who just lost everything. Thanks that we get to be a part of what you're doing. We get to be a part of what you're doing here on planet Earth. We get to lock arms with the God of the universe. And one way we get to do that is through our generosity. So receive these gifts in the spirit that they're given out of the overflow of our hearts and lives that are just so incredibly grateful to you, God. We love you. We worship you. It's in the risen name of Jesus Christ we pray all of this. And everyone agreed and said, I am love. I am love. I am love. We are loved. Pagamahal na ko. Sir Amala. We are loved. We are loved. We are called to love. We are called to love. Love is worth it. Love is worth it. Love is missional. Hi again, Journey. Great to be with you, especially if you're a guest. We're really, really delighted and honored by your presence here today. We've been talking in this Kingdom Come series about what it looks like for us to obey God and care for widows and orphans and the poor and the oppressed and those cast to the margins of society. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now. This is my last weekend to get to talk about this stuff because next weekend we're really, really honored to have Johnny Carr with us. He wrote this fantastic book that if you have a chance, you might just grab it this week and read it. It's called Orphan Justice by Johnny Carr. And he's gonna wrap up, he's gonna conclude this Kingdom Come series next weekend. So whatever you do, don't miss next weekend. And then I'd urge you, strongly urge you, that if you're even just slightly interested in learning more about what it looks like for you to help bring justice to orphans here and around the world, then please make plans to be here on Sunday afternoon of next week for that Orphan Justice Seminar with Johnny. And there's more information about all of that in the lobby or at journeyweb.net. I think they're asking us to sign up by Monday, and uh, that's tomorrow. And so lots of us will sign up on Tuesday because, well, that's what we do. But try, if you would, to sign up by tomorrow. That'd be really great. Tara will appreciate that. 
one of the cornerstone verses for much of the justice bringing work that's happening, ac- happening across the Big C Church in the world is this verse, probably familiar to almost all of you. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Right? Lots of us have heard this verse. If you hang around the orphan justice movement very long, you've seen this verse on t-shirts and websites and bookmarks and bracelets. And, right? It's like the bedrock verse that's causing so many followers of Jesus Christ to go to such great lengths to tangibly serve orphans and widows and the poor and the oppressed and those cast to the margins of society. Lots and lots and lots of God's people are taking this verse really, really seriously, especially in the last five plus years. They're applying this verse to their life, how they do life, what they give their lives to, and that's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. And you read the entirety of the book of James, as a matter of fact, and you just see it's filled end to end with instructions about how we are as followers of Jesus Christ to live a life of justice and compassion and integrity. How do you actually live this stuff out? James tells us again and again and again. He tells us and he shows us and he invites us and he challenges us. This really, the whole book of James is this really practical application of our faith in Jesus Christ to our everyday lives. And before James ever gets to all those instructions, including James 1.27, about how we are to go about living a life of justice and compassion and integrity, he shows us something that's even more foundational to this foundational verse in James 1.27. It's like he's building a foundation for the foundation, and here's what he does. He challenges you and I with the principle for how to change your life. James challenges all of us with the principle for how to change our lives, for how to be the person that you want to be, how to live the life that God made all of us, all of his kids, to live. And it comes before James chapter 1, verse 27, and it goes like this. James 1, 22 is where this appears in your text. But don't just listen to God's word. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So James says the Bible is like a what? A mirror. A mirror. The Bible's like a mirror. And what do you see? Anytime you step up to a mirror and you look into a mirror, what do you see? You see yourself. That's exactly right. You see you. And James says a disobedient person is someone who looks into the mirror, they hear the word of God, they see themselves, they walk away, and they forget what they look like. And then he goes on. But, he says, if you look carefully into the mirror, if you look carefully into the mirror that is scripture, that is the perfect law of God, the law that sets us free, and if you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing that. Weighty words. And in those weighty words is this really incredible principle. James, in brilliant fashion says, look guys, the Bible is a mirror because any time, any time anybody goes to the Bible, before it tells you what to do, it shows us who we are. Way, way before the Bible ever tells you what you're supposed to do, the Bible shows us who we are. And some of you right now are going, but wait a minute, the Bible has all these quantities, quantities, quantities of things to do, all sorts of good, noble things that we're supposed to do, do. The scripture tells us how to live with integrity and then shows us how 
The scripture tells us how to live with compassion and then shows us how. The text teaches that we're supposed to live with justice and then shows us how. But James really cleverly says, don't just look at the Bible as a book of rules. Don't just look at the Bible as a book of rules. Don't do it. And don't just look at the rule book and walk away and try to live all those rules out. Do not do it. James is jumping up and down. Don't do it. It begs the question, well, why, why not? Isn't that what God wants? He just wants us marching in a single file line, just doing, 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 doing all the things that he wants. No. Uh-uh. Because living a life that measures up to the standard of God, the standard of the scripture, it isn't just about your willpower. It is not just a matter of just doing it. Do this, do that, say yes, say no, can't, shan't, vant, won't, don't. Making up words there, sorry. James says, look, the Bible is a mirror. Look deeply, deeply into the mirror that is the scripture because a whole long time before it tells you what to do, it shows us who we are. The scriptures reveal to us our condition. And James says, if you want to live this life, if you want to live a justice-filled life, if you want to live a compassion-filled life, if you want to live a life of actually tangibly caring for widows and orphans and the poor and the oppressed and those cast to the margins of society, if you want to live a generous life, a humble life, a faith-filled life, then first, you, me, us, be a person, be people who look deeply into the mirror of Scripture and don't look away. Don't look away. What's that mean? What's it mean to look into the mirror and not look away? It means that you continually remember who you are. You never ever forget who you are. Because you see, remembering who you are leads to this amazing life that God created every single one of his kids, that's us, to live. And according to James, this changed way of living is rooted in a sweeping transformation of our self-understanding. A sweeping new self-understanding, a sweeping new way of seeing ourselves, understanding ourselves, knowing ourselves, brings about a drastically new way of living life. James says, if you're a person who looks at the Bible and the Bible says, I should forgive, and so you walk away and you try and you try and you try and you try, you got this person who wounded you so deeply a couple of decades ago, and you've tried for 20 years to try to forgive and forgive and forgive, but you just can't. Or maybe you're a person who looks at the Bible and the Bible says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Right? It's all over the pages of scripture. Don't be afraid. And you walk away and you're like, okay, I'm gonna be all courageous. And then you just wilt. You can't be courageous for the life of you. You're shaking like a leaf in the wind. And when stuff like that happens, when we look into the mirror of scripture and we see all of this stuff that we're supposed to do, I'm supposed to forgive, I'm supposed to be courageous, but we can't, so what do we do? What do most people do? We try harder, don't we? Raise your hand if you've tried harder. Come on, yeah. A little honesty in the room today. We try harder, don't we? Oh, I just have to try harder to forgive. I don't know how to do that, but I'm gonna try harder. I have to try harder to be courageous. I'm just gonna try harder. And that happens with every single one of us. And after a while, what happens inside of a church like ours is we start to pick up people who have just been trying harder for years and years and years and years and years. Just trying harder and harder, gritting their teeth more and more. They're grinding their teeth down, as a matter of fact. They're like old elk. Right, we're just trying harder to get it right, get it right, get it right. 
And the trying harder people, you know what happens to them? They just became, they, they become small, and I mean this in the best possible sense, they become smoldering piles of wreckage. That's one option. Or they hate God is the other option. They're smoldering piles of wreckage on one hand, or they hate God and don't want anything to do because they've just been gritting their teeth, trying, trying, trying. I've got to try harder to forgive. I've got to try harder to be courageous. I've got to try harder to try harder. But you know what's true? Is that is not even close to what the Bible says you're supposed to do. Not even close. You read the Bible cover to cover, and never will you see just try harder. You won't see it. It's not there. Instead, James says, look, if you're having trouble doing something like caring for widows and orphans and the poor and the oppressed and those cast to the margins of society, if you're a person who's having trouble being courageous, if you're a person who's having trouble forgiving, if you're a person who's having trouble being honest, if you're a person who's having trouble controlling yourself in some area, some category, if you can't love people, if you can't be kind to people, James says, look, it's not even close to just a matter of trying harder. Please don't. Please don't just try harder. James says, if you're having trouble with any of those things and even a whole bunch more, right, we could make a real long list of all the things, James says the real issue is you've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten who you are. If you're struggling with any of that stuff, you've forgotten who you are because the Bible shows you who you are way before it tells you what to do. Let me say it this way, which is something I've talked about before. In Christianity, in following Jesus, being comes before doing. Doing is supposed to flow out of being, not the other way around. It's relationship with God before responsibility for bringing his kingdom here on earth. Being comes before doing. But lots and lots of people, good-hearted, good-meaning people say, you know, all right, I, I, I buy this. I want to live life God's way. They're looking on the lives of some people who are following Jesus and living life his way and they're, they're saying like, oh, God's way just works and so I, wanna, I want my life to work like that. It just works, doesn't it? I want it to work like that. I want to live like that. And then what are the very next words? So I'm going to what? Try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try real hard. I'm going to get up real early. I'm going to put my work boots on and I'm going to try and try and try. Because so many people think that doing Christian stuff, living all Christian-y, makes you a Christian. So many people think doing leads to being. James says, no, it's the exact opposite. Being leads to doing. Being leads to doing. Being leads to doing. And so you look in the mirror, you look at the scripture... And anytime anybody ever looks at the Bible, beginning to end, Old Testament, New Testament, the Bible tells us the gospel, doesn't it? That's what the Bible tells us, beginning to end. The Bible tells us the gospel in the Old Testament. The Bible tells us the gospel in the New Testament, and absolutely, you're right. The Old Testament and the New Testament tell us the gospel in different ways, but they tell us the exact same thing, and it starts with the love of God. It starts with the love that God has for all people, every person. It also tells us that people fall, they fail, they stumble. We're sinful, we're weak, we're, oh, quite a mess, aren't we? And we're such a mess that nothing less than the very Son of God, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross could save us from our mess. That's why he came to show us how to live life his way, what life his way looks like, and he came to die. And the Bible tells us that God is pursuing us. The Bible tells us that God is pursuing you. Some of you he's been pursuing for a very, very long time now, and you've gotten quite adept at running from him. But he is the hound of heaven, 
and he loves you and he is going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you and never ever give up on you. And the Bible tells us that Jesus died for you. The incredible undying love he has for people, for you, caused him to die on the cross and he pursues you and he's gonna keep on pursuing you all because he loves you. And so on one hand, the Bible tells us that, oh, geez, we're quite a mess. Sinful, weak, fallen, broken mess. On one hand, the Bible tells us that there's nothing, absolutely nothing, that you can do on your own accord that will make you a Christian. No one becomes a follower of Jesus Christ merely by trying harder. We're a mess, and at the same time we're a mess, we're loved and pursued by God. And then on the other hand, the Bible tells us that in Jesus Christ, because of that undying love he has for us, that we can be saved from this wreckage, from the mess, and not only can we be saved, but we can be set in the very highest place. Not just saved, but exalted to the very highest place. And you can't ever become a follower of Jesus by doing no one becomes a Christian by trying harder. So we're a mess. Such a mess that the love of God the Father compelled God the Son to come and die for you. Jesus fulfilled all the requirements before God and now because of him, only because of him, you and I can be saved, but not only saved, but set into the very highest place. At the right hand of God the Father, that's the highest place. At the right hand of God the Father. And so that means that if you're a person who's in relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him for salvation and forgiveness and yielded your life to him, and that means you're accepted by him, you're welcomed by him, you're adopted by him. That also means that when you look in the Bible, it tells you what a mess you are. And at the same time it tells you what a mess you are, it tells you that you're set in the highest place at the right hand of God the Father. And James says, if you can't live life God's way, the way he shows us in the Bible, it's because we've forgotten what he's told us about ourselves. Because the scripture is a mirror. And it tells us who we are a whole lot longer before it ever tells us what to do. And then after that, and only after that, after James builds that foundation, doing doesn't lead to being. It's relationship before responsibility. After he's built this foundation, then James goes on and he says, okay, here's everything that the rest of this book is all about and it's right here in James 1 27 this is everything this is the cliffs notes of the entire rest of the book of James pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress that's one section of the rest of the book the other section of the rest of the book is refusing to let the world corrupt you and if you read James cover to cover from that point on at least you'll see that that's the outline Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress, one chunk, and refusing to let the world corrupt you, the other chunk. That's the rest of the book of James right there. So James says, after you know who you are, after you've looked long and hard in the mirror, not forgetting who you are, remembering who you are, that you're oh such a mess and you're saved and you're exalted to the very highest place. Then James says, now go live like this. Go live, James 1.27. Go walk it out, flesh it out, live it out every single day of your life. James says, I want you to know the freedom that comes from looking into the law, seeing who you are, and living the life that I made you to live. Now go do that. Be about that. Burn the ships and don't ever go back. Jesus tells us, you're not your own. You're not your own. 
You're loved with the immeasurable love of God. You've been pursued by the God of the universe and you were bought with the price of Jesus Christ on the cross and every part of our lives is intended to be his. And we were meant to deploy the very same love of God that pursues you and has been pursuing you and isn't gonna stop pursuing you. I've been reading this fantastic book called Love Does by a guy named Bob Goff. Bob spoke at the Global Leadership Summit in August. If you were part of that with us, you probably remember him. If you haven't read this book, you must read this book. He tells the most unbelievable stories. Like, I'm reading these stories, like laughing out loud, going like, you're lying, Bob. There's no way this happened, but it happened. My gosh, if you've read the book, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've got to be kidding me. The stuff that he's gotten himself into, unbelievable. And these stories all have this sort of whimsical way of moving us from inaction to action. His point is that God's love did stuff so that we could experience the very best that he has to offer us, and so too should our love do stuff. Love does stuff. Which is exactly what James is saying in James 1.27. Your love can't just sit stationary. Love does stuff. Love for God, love for people, moves us to live a James 1.27 kind of life. And Bob Goff talks about something that lots and lots of people buy, a lie that lots and lots of people buy, and it's called the someone else lie. You're probably familiar with the someone else lie. It goes like this. Oh, someone else will go live James 127 out. Somebody else will go live James 127. Someone else will get off of the bench out of the row of chairs and go care for widows and orphans tangibly someone else someone else someone else someone else but the someone else lie is just that it it is a lie because you see our love for God and our faith in him is not ever meant to just sit in park Our love for God and love for people is not meant to be stationary. Love does not say someday. Love doesn't just think about it and think about it and think about it. Love doesn't just plan and plan and plan and plan and plan. Love actually lands the plane and gets to doing stuff. Love goes on mission and does. And love can look like an awful lot of things an awful lot of things. I think that one of the things that love looks like is this. Watch this. Hey guys, it's Ace here. I need, today I need to really um, um, talk to you really something important. My brother was an orphan he and he lived in Bulgaria. My brother was born with Down syndrome. When he was born from his first mom's tummy, the doctor the um the doctor said he had Down syndrome. The mom said she she could keep him. My mommy's trying to explain it to me, but I don't still understand. But whatever, I'm just happy he's my brother. This is my brother, Archie. Archie, say hi. Hi. When Archie was little, he had to miss a lot of things because he had Down syndrome. You see? He's so different, but he's just like any other kid. 
might go to go to the park and then we could play in the pool with our new friends and like uh, go to the place boss which is another picture uh, and go we um stay at home playing and um going to and sleep uh, eat uh, eat ice cream that's all. Archie sometimes bothers me because he really um because he really is not um talking about what I'm saying. La 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 la. People should treat everyone the same because they're even different. I won't change anything about Archie because he has Down syndrome. I won't take that away. He's perfect the way God made him. Archie, I love you so much because you're the best brother in the whole world. scripture and we see who we are all quite a mess on one hand saved from that mess by Jesus Christ and set in the very highest place exalted to the right hand of God the Father and then from that place love goes on mission and love does Love does crazy stuff, adopts a special needs child, 
Love fosters a teenage boy when everyone says that's insane. Love takes of our own resources and sponsors a kid or a family in another country or sponsors a kid or a family around the corner. Love comes alongside a family who is adopting and partners with them. Love takes groceries to a widow three doors down. Love shovels her walk. Love sits with her to keep her company. Love goes out on mission and does. Every day. It's not a special circumstance. It's just what love does. Something else love does is it enters into the story of what other people feel and what they experience, which is exactly why our team developed something they call the Solidarity Challenge, and we're inviting you to join in with us for the next five days. You'll find out in the lobby these Solidarity Challenge kits. They sound really complicated, but they're really a brown paper bag with a starter portion of beans and rice and an instruction card inside of it. The challenge is for all of us, your family, you by yourself, you and your spouse, whatever, to take one of those kits with you when you leave today so that you and your family can connect with and feel what half, 50% of the world experiences every single day of their lives by you and your family eating beans and rice for the rest of the week, for the rest of this week. Love does that sort of thing. Love enters into the story of others and experiences everything that they're experiencing. And so we're inviting you to do just that. Take a solidarity challenge kit. And as you're eating what half of the world's population eats every single day, it'll cause you to pray new prayers for the world's poor, won't it? People who live on less than two bucks a day. People who live on less than two bucks a day. It'll cause us to pray new prayers as we're eating what half of the world's population eats every day, you'll have new kinds of conversations around the dinner table about how your family lives out stuff like James 1.27 in our world. Love does that. And be real smart about this challenge. Some of us have growing kids for whom eating just rice and beans for the next week wouldn't be a healthy deal. So add rice and beans to the rest of their meal so, you know, they keep growing. Something else you should know. What you find in that bag is just what I call it. It's a starter kit, right? If you take the Solidarity Challenge seriously, you will have to buy more beans and rice. It's a Solidarity Challenge. It's not a starvation diet, okay? If your whole family tries to live on what's in that bag for the next week, you're gonna be in trouble. And you'll notice there's a card, like I said, in that challenge kit. It has some helpful instructions recipes, how to make beans, soak them, all that kind of thing. On that card is a web address we'd invite you to visit. Every single day over the course of the next week, there'll be a new video encouragement for each day of the challenge, and you're welcome to sign up to have those videos emailed to you. You can use the card in the chair pocket in front of you, put your email address in the word challenge, and we'll make sure you get those every day, or you can hit the website and sign up there as well. And we want to hear your stories from the challenge. We want to hear about how this experience goes for you. So would you share your stories? Tell us about the dinnertime conversations. Tell us about the prayers that God is leading you to pray. Tell us what you're feeling and experiencing. And you can use our website or Journey's Facebook page to feed back to us if you would. Solidarity challenge, you all in? Beans and rice the next week, us. Right? Take a kit out there. Take your stuff if you would, set it aside. I invite you to close your eyes and get with the Lord if you would. James is real clear. Being comes before doing. 
And so we look long and hard. We want to be the obedient people, not the disobedient people. We want to look long and hard in the mirror that is the scripture, the perfect law of God. And we want to know our condition and we want to know what it is that Jesus has saved us from. And we want to know that, yes, indeed, he has set us in the highest place, exalted us to the right hand of God the Father. But once we know who we are, he turns us loose. Go live, James 1.27. Caring for widows and orphans in their distress, not letting the world corrupt us. Love does that. That's what love does. Maybe you have some commitments you need to nail down with the Lord. Maybe it's as simple as, Lord, I need to look longer and harder in the mirror. I need to look longer and harder into your word. And I need to know my condition. And I need to know that I'm saved from all that and I'm set in the highest place. Maybe it starts there for you. being before doing. And perhaps today God's been awakening you to this truth that his love for you and nothing but his love for you compelled him to send his son Jesus to die on the cross. God's love sent his one and only son God's love gave this amazing gift. And Jesus invites you into his gift. Into salvation and forgiveness. He invites you to step out of the mess. You can step out of the mess once and for all. And you can come home and you can line up with him and you can go on the mission that he made you to live. Maybe today God's whispering into your soul that that's you. If it is, I invite you to pray with me. Step into the salvation of Jesus Christ. Step into his forgiveness once and for all. You can do that by praying along with me. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, I get it. I'm looking in the mirror and I'm seeing what a mess I am, what a wreck I am, how weak I am, how fallen I am, how broken I am. And I'm also looking in the scripture and I'm seeing that you died for me to save me from all that. And I want that. It's you, Jesus, I need. And so will you please forgive me? Will you please save me? Will you please adopt me into your family, God? Will you please, Jesus, bring me home? Will you bring me home? Here I am. Everything I've got, everything I am, it's all yours. And if that's your prayer today, if you're stepping into the saving faith of Jesus Christ today, this is the defining moment of your whole life. And not just your whole life, but your whole eternity as well. And such a defining moment that around here we invite people to tell us when they make that decision, when they step into life with Christ. And so I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. It's a private thing. Nobody's looking around this room. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You got me and God looking on. And if you prayed with me just then, would you just be real bold and would you just slip your hand up and lock eyes with me and let me agree with you in your decision? I just want to say yes with you. You can do that right now. Yeah, way to go. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And over here to my right, absolutely. Way to go. And here to my right, yes. Way to go. Yes. And there in the back, yes, I see you. Yes, I see you. Wow, way to go. 
way to go. Oh God, we worship you, we exalt your name, we praise you that salvation has come to these today. That life and eternity, the truth is that their lives and their eternities are never the same from here on out because of your work in them. And oh God, that we would stare, that we would be people who stare deeply into the mirror that is your scripture, the mirror that is your perfect law, the mirror that sets us free from the mess that we are. And that we would go do just what you made us to do. That our love would do stuff, James 1.27 stuff. partnering and serving and loving and identifying with widows and orphans in their distress. Not letting the world corrupt us. Doing your word. Living out your word. And all the while remembering exactly who we are. Oh God, that we would be a part of your transformation in this world. That justice would reign, that your kingdom would come because of this little group of people right here in the Galton Valley. Use us, send us. Help us never, ever forget who we are, God. We love you. We adore you. And we live our very lives for you.